Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Shiver, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back for another round of Original versus Remake. Yay! Putting two films against each other, two very different films. And this month was Chris' choice, just to remind him, in case he says I made him sit through the remake of 13 Ghosts. It wasn't that bad, but yeah. You you looked like you wanted to murder the director. I was bored. (laughs) I was bored by the end. Uh, Yeah, no, I'm I'm waiting for you to see what the episode is. Oh, it's um, 13 Ghosts. Uh, I I suppose I did say I made you watch the remake. (laughs) Yeah, you already said. Yeah, there's yours to reveal. It's your month. Well, the the big reveal, 13 Ghosts. (laughs) Is that all you got to say? Let's get into it. I've got a lot to say. Well, before we get into it, here's the poll results. 32% of you voted for the original. Hmm. Whereas 68% of you voted for the remake. This remake has a huge cult following. Like, people adore it. Now, as someone who watched it when it was first released, I totally get it. I, I mean, I don't understand why you think it's better than the original... But I, I get the nostalgia. Yes. I have no nostalgia attached to yeah. it. I didn't watch it until we watched it for the podcast. Yeah. Well, before we get into the films, let's get on to our socials catch-up. Jiggy's Horror Corner on Twitter said, Cherry Falls is one of my favourite post-scream slashers. Love the story and definitely feel sympathy for the killer with such a tragic backstory. Always enjoyed this one. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, from way back film. at the start of April, fucking hell. It feels like a million years ago. Yes. I was at Cherry Falls. When Cherry we... Falls, yeah, start of the month. Yes, it's been a long month. It has. Uh, Leroy Cross James on Instagram from the Slashic Horror Podcast uh, said he couldn't choose a favourite Madonna movie because he loves her in Desperately Seeking Susan. Who's that girl and body of evidence? Yeah. Good to see some more Madonna love. Yes, she deserves it. Uh, Scarlett Oscara666 on Instagram practically wrote our episode for us um, <laughs> when she, when they commented, I think Madonna's best performance is Evita since it's one long music video and her acting comes through her singing. She's also good when the personality of her character feels like an easy extension of her persona, but everything else... Hmm. <laughs> I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah, basically sums up our episode, but if you haven't listened to it, just go and listen to it. Yes. <laughs> but thank you for doing our job for us. Um, Killerflix on Instagram said the way Brad Pitt runs in cutting class is hilarious. I didn't notice this. I didn't notice that. You had to... Re- no, we're not. Uh, <laughs> as if underscore... To- I totally paused on Instagram. I trust you. I believe you. <laughs> Uh, as if I totally paused on Instagram, said uh, I love Cherry Falls. Brittany Murphy's character is sweet and crazy, standard. Yeah, she's a good, good final girl. And finally, Jamie D on Instagram uh, said I enjoyed the American Way Off in Paris episode. I couldn't even get through a quarter of the way through the film, but after listening to your podcast, I'm glad I didn't bother. Yes, you made the right decision there. What about the one where? They said uh, they got all the way through the film and enjoyed it. We could only get a quarter of the way through the podcast. Well, <laughs> our charming voices will save that from happening, hopefully. Um, 
But keep coming to us with your comments and yes, please. We, we will really enjoy getting comments. Read them out at the end of the month. Tell us what you think of Thirteen Ghosts. And yeah, and to be honest, a lot of the time you agree with me. So I love getting comments. <laughs> Back me up. We are horror- <laughs> maybe not on this episode. Uh, we are Horror Court Trash Over on Facebook and Instagram, and Horror Court Trash on Twitter. Now let's talk ghosts. Thirteen of them, to be specific. Oh, unlucky for some. Starting in the year 1960, directed by William Castle. And you know what? We've spoken about it so many times. I didn't need to tell you what he directed. Go listen to one of our William Castle episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, this completes the trilogy of William Castle remakes, starting with I Saw What You Did in the 80s, which was shit. Um, House on Haunted Hill in the 90s, and now 13 Ghosts. Unknown budget, but it did make $1.5 million in the US and Canada. That's all I could find. There's actually not a lot of trivia for this either. I may have already read this out during the Was it really that much of a bomb? I don't think so, because, I mean, his films kept making money and he kept making more. Yeah, it had the gimmick, didn't it? Maybe it's just, I mean, that's just the US and Canada, so... Just US and Canada. Mm. Maybe there's other information that's just not on the internet. Uh, well, well I suppose in 1960, 1.5 million was more. Yeah, maybe. Was worth a bit more. Who knows? Um, William Castle was able to get popular child actor Charles Herbert to play Buck by offering to give him top billing. He does get a lot of screen time. He does. <laughs> He's pretty integral to the plot. Yeah. Him. Charles Herbert would appear in this and two other features in this year before roles in features completely dried up for him. He would complete his career in television roles. Okay. Yeah, I'd never heard of him. Uh, the Lion Ghost is the same lion who was Kitty Cat on the Adams Family television series. Lovely. The lion's real name was Zamba, and he appeared in numerous movies and TV shows. Go on, Zamba. Get those checks. The creepy little man who delivers the telegram is played by David Hoffman, who horror buffs remember for his appearances as the head inside the crystal ball in the Inner Sanctum movies, which I really want to see. The Boris Karloff? Yeah, yeah. 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 I didn't recognise him. And finally, the movie was filmed in Illusion O, and a special viewer was needed to see the ghosts. So as you may recall from my William Castle episode, there's always a gimmick with William Castle. Uh, and this one is one we were able to take advantage of. Yes. Really enjoyed that. This resulted in a number of sources uh, incorrectly stating that the film was originally shown in 3D. The ghost viewers contained a red filter and a blue filter. But unlike 3D viewers and glasses, uh, both eyes would look through the same colour filter. The red filter would cause the ghostly image to intensify, whilst the blue filter caused the images to fade. Now, this was released as... A, the trailer for this is like, oh, scarce for the whole family. So I believe this was, and probably still is, a PG. So I totally get what he was doing here. He kind of saved the skin a little bit with the blue one. Because some of the ghosts are fucking terrifying. They are genuinely quite scary. And there's a sort of light-hearted nature to a lot of the film. And it plays out as a, a comedy in, in, in a lot of scenes. But these ghosts are fucking creepy. Yeah, especially the first one. It's a little jarring. Um, when you've had to turn in the rest of the film. And then the first ghost you see is hanging. And yeah. <laughs> decomposed face. Heads getting cut off. Skeletons on fire. All that shit. Um, in 1960, I could imagine absolutely losing your shit yes. <laughs> at um, the red and blue filter. Oh, it's, it's so clever. It's, it works really yeah. well. We did it ourselves, didn't we? Yeah, uh, with 3D glasses. With a pair of 3D glasses. So you, you had to sort of like 
close one eye. Um, but it really, really works. Yeah. Well, we had the indicator Blu-ray that has that feature. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really cool. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. So that brings us to 13 Ghosts, released in 2001, uh, or as it's stylized, One Free Team Ghosts. Yeah. Directed by Steve Beck, who only directed Ghost Ship other than this, but he did do visual effects for The Hunt for Red October, The Abyss, and Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Ghost Ship is like 13 Ghosts 2.0. Oh, okay. Is it a remake? No. 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 Uh, but it's pretty much the same film, but not as good. So, I mean, uh, you're going to hate it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Budget $42 million, and it only made $68.5 million at the box office. So, I think the court following for this film has definitely come from home release. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I wasn't old enough back then to watch it. I watched it on DVD when it, when it was released. Um, so, yeah. I mean... I, I'm pretty sure at the time it was released, everyone knew this film. So I was quite surprised when it, it didn't actually make that much money. Yeah, all I knew was Matthew Lillard was in it, and someone gets split in half. Yeah. That's pretty much all you need to know. <laughs> pretty much. The effect for the torso from said scene uh, was achieved using a double amputee wearing a special black hood that could be used to digitally remove his head. Ah, I see. The torso, wait, is that that scene? No, one of the ghosts is just a torso. Oh, okay, there we go. I mean, I was paying attention, I promise. (laughs) And the special effects and sound... Okay, this is my favourite bit of trivia I've ever read on this fucking podcast. In a bizarre series of events. I'm still not quite over this. (laughs) The special effects and sound mixing were so elaborate in this film that many people... Claimed the movie was physically painful to sit through. What the fuck? Why were they in pain because of the special effects of sound editing? That makes no sense. It could have given him a headache or a migraine. The special effects. Oh, I don't know. The, The practical effects. Yeah, but it also says sound mix. And the sound mixing. Oh, come on. It's a bit much. Yeah, well... 2001, I mean, wasn't it? I get the whole when people say, oh, our film was so extreme, I fainted and everything. Or not, or the film was so well made, I was in so much pain watching it. <laughs> if you're one of these people, please let us know how that works. Please, I would love to know. Uh, of all the creature makeup, also, if you're one of those people, I, I apologise for mocking you. Of all the creature makeup created for this film, the angry princess, uh, played by Shauna Lawyer, Required the longest time to apply it five hours. Which one? That's a long time to be naked. It was at the naked yeah. one. Yeah. So, speaking of which, uh, this is her only film. She attracted a small court following thanks to her brief role as the Angry Princess. Uh, a rumour circulated that the role was actually played by porn actress Araya Giovanni. Yeah, Giovanni! Giovanni. There's another Giovanni number. Using. Uh, <laughs> Using a pseudonym, um, but this is incorrect. Uh, in fact, Miss Giovanni was in an adult parody titled 13 Erotic Ghosts, <laughs> released in 2002. I think I'd like to see that. Could have done an original verse for Remake Free some there. Could, yeah, that's true, actually. Um, big fan of uh, 
Giovanni and Sean and Lawyer? Mm. Do we think they're the same person? No, I don't think no. so. No, I, it's probably just the confusion with her starring in 13 Erotic Ghosts. <laughs> yeah, that, that well-known classic. Yeah. Uh, the budget, opening weekend box office uh, gross and box office gross overall of this film are virtually identical within one million to that of House on Haunted Hill, which opened almost exactly two years earlier. Yeah, I suppose it's playing to a, the same crowd, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Um, so House on Haunted Hill, was that a failure? I mean, really, yeah. So, you know, maybe they should have learned from their lesson. Uh, maybe. Uh, the first film from a major American studio with three Arab-American leads. Great. Yeah. Um, 2001. I mean, that's it's quite yeah, late. progress. It's progress. Of course it is. Um, but yeah, it's still quite late in the game. Roger Ebert. No, I'm not going to boo or a cheer. No. <laughs> Hopefully everyone's playing along at home and booing and cheering along. Uh, Roger Ebert, regular podcast um, star, praised the production values. Okay. Saying, I may not have booed or cheered, but I didn't call him a star. Uh, praised the production values, saying the production is first rate. The physical look of this picture is splendid. However, he's a two-faced bitch and criticised every cast about the film and then put it in his most hated films list. Well, yeah, something can look great and still be shoddy. Don't you yeah, think? Maybe. Uh, maybe all the money went to the wrong place. Maybe. Warner Brothers and Dark Castle Entertainment originally planned to release the film in 3D. Of course they did. To carry on the gimmick from the original. Uh, Which where viewers, in 3D. Where viewers would need 3D glasses to see the ghosts in the film. So you'd only put them on when the ghosts are there. Uh, so only the ghosts would be in 3D? Yeah. Fucking the hell. The plans were scrapped. Sounds like a right pain in the ass. The film, which was only the second Dark Castle Entertainment production, was a critical and financial failure. Though it surpassed its budget uh, when accounting for advertising and marketing costs, the film lost money. And this discouraged Warner Brothers from remaking more William Castle horror films, which was the original plan for Dark Castle Entertainment. And the next release was Ghost Ship, based on an original screenplay, but that was also a critical failure. Yeah... I mean, Ghost Ship, I mean, play, as far as I know, I've never watched it. But is it not just the same thing? No, no. It's an original screenplay, yeah. It's not based on a William Castle um, film. But I don't think remaking William Castle films is your issue there. No. No. I'd have been interested to see what they went with next uh, after this. I mean, well, hopefully 13 Frightened Girls. But... Yeah. I don't think so. Um, yeah, what, which one would they go with next? I suppose the obvious one would be The Tingler, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, that, would, that actually might... Mm, no. 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 Probably uh, not. <laughs> I mean, really, the one that needed remaking was Project X, but I definitely was getting a remake. No. Shannon Elizabeth didn't actually know that this film was a remake before she joined production, not even knowing that the original existed, only finding out partway through filming. <laughs> was she not told when they yeah. hired her? Well, I suppose it wasn't important, though, really. No. It's so far removed from the original. Yeah. Uh, Kalina's death, where she's crushed between two glass panels, was originally much gorier, with shots of her eyes popping out and brains squirting out. 
This was cut down in the end as director Steve Beck feared such a gory death would only film an NC-17 rating. Well, he could have edited that scene a little better because it's a little awkward. Yeah, yeah. How disappointed as an actor or actress <laughs> to have a big death scene and have to go through all the I stuff know. involved in a big gory death scene and then to have it cut. you know. like, seriously, I went to all that effort for no one to see it. <laughs> In the original script for the film, the plot was supposed to take place over the course of a few days with a subplot that Kathy would fall in love with lawyer Benjamin Moss. But director Steve Beck didn't like some of those ideas and nixed them. One particular uh, idea was Maggie originally being the mole used to lure Arthur and the family to the house and subsequently changed this to have Kalina to be the mole instead. Um... I mean, that's what the original had with Kathy and uh, the estate agent. Yeah, but... The the Maggie thing, no. <laughs> no, and the Kalina thing, I mean... Say she's a mole, but she's not in it until... There's a big gap where she's not even in the yeah. film. So she's not the reason for them to be in the house. The reason for them to be in the house is because they need the money. Yeah. Um, so, it's, I don't know if she's really a mole, she's just, uh, she's in on it, you know, she's part of the thing. Mm-hmm. She kind of pretends for like 10 minutes of the film. But yeah, okay. So? Yes. 13 Ghosts, 1960. Would you like me to tell you about it? Okay, but this audience participation thing isn't going to work. Yes, please. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to you. Oh! <laughs> Um, so yeah, 13 Ghosts. We start with some shaving foam smears and uh, some numbered pictures of ghosts with intense music and moaning to start <laughs> the film. Um, very much like cut out pictures of ghosts. Yeah. Like, the kind you buy from the pound shop um, yeah. at Halloween time. Um, and it's it's like, I don't really, it's not really shaving foam. It's like... Um, the fake snow at Christmas. Yeah. They sprayed on some window and just wiped off. It's it's good. It's campy, isn't it? It's stupid. Um, for ghost number 13, though, we get a question mark. Mm-hmm. Who will be the 13th ghost? Um, William Castle then breaks the fourth wall from his office, telling us he believes in ghosts, and so will we. He then instructs... instructs instructs us on how to use the ghost viewer that the audiences at the screenings in 1960 were given during the um during the finding their seats i don't don't know don't know when they were given them i don't know why i'm telling you um he also says if you believe in ghosts you look through the red if you don't you look through the blue um and he finishes with a happy haunting goodbye for now. So, um, as we said in, in William Castle episode, he was very much trying to be a personality. Kind of in a similar way Alfred Hitchcock was. Yeah. Or was it the way around? I think they borrowed from each other I think lot. they borrowed from each other a lot. They, they definitely kind of want, you know, a lot of Hitchcock's films is Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, Alfred Hitchcock's yeah. Vertigo. And then I think William Castle was very much... So it's William Castle's 13 Ghosts. William Castle's The Tingler. You know, making the director... Because, you know, in the old studio system, 
a lot of the directors just threw out these films. They were directors to hire, and they weren't really personalities in their own sense. No. Um, so William Castle was one of the, the biggest ones to do it, where he was a personality in himself, and that was very much in keeping with his marketing. Yeah. Which seemingly worked. So um, he's wished us a happy haunting, and then we cut to the film itself and the story in hand, where the occultist, Dr. Plato Zorba, bequeaths <laughs> uh, a large house to his impoverished nephew, Cyrus, along with his wife, Hilda, teen daughter, Medea, and younger son, Buck. Cyrus is informed that the house comes with ghosts that Dr. Zorba has collected from around the world. Um, Cyrus is a lecturer in paleontology. His finances aren't the best and his furniture is being repossessed. Yeah. And uh, they have to celebrate Buck's birthday sitting on the floor. <laughs> Poor Buck. Um, Hilda says to, uh, <laughs> says to Buck, your father is a wonderful man, just forgetful. <laughs> uh, well, like... She's not even pissed at all. No. <laughs> all her possessions are getting repossessed. No, no one's bothered this... about anything in this film. No. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Unless, uh, well, there's the odd moment where people are um, really bothered by something, but they get over it really quick. <laughs> <laughs> um, Book, whilst his uh, birthday cake's in front of him, um, is reading his ghost stories, and he makes a birthday wish with... Uh, <laughs> He makes a birthday wish for a house with furniture just before they received the telegram concerning Uncle Plato's house. Uh, Hilda asks, is Buck psychic or something? <laughs> um, the will stipulates that the family must stay in the house and cannot sell it or it will be returned to the state. Well, it will be turned over to the state, not returned. Excuse me, I'm really struggling with my words today. Um, Dr. Zorba collected ghosts from all over the world and uh, you inherit them too <laughs> says the lawyer Ben a very straight faced delivery from yeah. him don't you think uh-huh. um, <laughs> they also receive a package containing a strange bulky pair of mechanical goggles um, we then get a fly clearly on a piece of string <laughs> very clearly yeah, no one tries to hide string in this film either <laughs> Yeah, I think it gets better as the film goes on. Um, but this one is... Yeah. They haven't tried at all. Um, it lands on the goggles and it's zapped. <laughs> so, I mean... No one else is zapped when they no, the goggles. No explanation as no to why. No explanation as to why the, the fly was zapped. Okay. Um, the family is shocked to find that the house is actually really haunted by 12 ghosts. Um, the furnished, furnished mansion also comes with creepy housekeeper Elaine and a hidden fortune concealed somewhere on the property. Uh, Book refers to Elaine as a witch, which is a funny in-joke, as uh, Elaine is played by Margaret Hamilton, most famous for playing the Wicked Witch of the West in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. I thought that was funny. Yeah, they really play on it. <laughs> yeah, they really do. They, they really play on you it. You think she was like, oh, for fuck's sake, here we go again. <laughs> she's getting that coin, you know. She's still working, isn't she, bless her? What? Not now. Now? <laughs> she's, she's very much dead now. Very much. 
Uh, Plato's lawyer, Ben, or uh, his full name, Benjamin Rush, uh, he goes for an official visit once they've moved in and takes a liking to Medea, as does she to him. <laughs> well, just a little. Young love, first love. Uh, Buck finds a Ouija board hidden in a secret compartment with an old book written in Latin. Uh, being a white family in a horror film, they decide to give it a go. The original. I think this. I think this is the original. This is the original. Yeah. Like, probably. They are so blissfully unaware of what this fucking Ouija board is. Well, no, they know what it is. This is what it makes it even worse. Yeah. Actually, they're so happy to do this Ouija board. It, it is. It's <laughs> unbelievable. My favorite genre is white people moving, knowingly moving into a haunted house, doing a Ouija board, summon the ghost, and then complaining when it's an inconvenience. Yeah. Well, Cyrus is the one that really knows all about yeah. it. And he's like, by the way, if you ask a silly question, it won't answer. <laughs> uh, Benjamin doesn't waste any time asking if, asking the Ouija board if Medea is in love. <laughs> we literally just met. And uh, the uh, planchette, it's called, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Goes flying off the board. She's like, see, silly question. Um, they also ask if there are any ghosts in the house, and the Ouija board answers yes. Gasp. Um, how many, they ask? Thirteen. Um, which isn't necessarily true, because no, you're waiting on 12. the 13th one. <laughs> I'm sure it says 13, doesn't it? I'm sure it does. Yeah. Ghosts just fucking with them. Unless I was just expecting it to, oh, I don't know. Um, they ask, are they going to hurt us? Yes. Gasp, double gasp. Uh, are they going to kill any of us? Um, to which the picture of Uncle Plato falls from the wall and the planchette, now floating with a slightly less visible string, <laughs> points to Medea. Um, this is one of the moments where she gets really intense and it doesn't really... <laughs> she doesn't seem that worried the next time we see her. Just don't ask me when. Very dramatically, doesn't she? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm saying, if she believes it, she should probably move out. I know, yeah. She definitely won't, though, because Lord forbid Hilda gets a job to help them out financially. (laughs) So this is very much in keeping with the 1950s and, before, well, um, somewhat in the 60s as well, standard of the husband being the only one working within the household. Uh, and it's not even questioned that Hilda go out to work no. to get them any money. Um, even though Medea seemingly is old enough to like look after Buck. Mm-hmm. Really, there's quite an age gap. Not as yeah. big as the um, the remake. It's quite an age gap between them. Also, well, remember, I because I this is something for a lot later on, but I'm probably going to forget about it. But don't say it now. In the new one, obviously, the Hilda character is spot for a nanny. Mainly because that's the the second woman in the family. Yeah. I oh, said the only woman because Shannon Elizabeth's a child, remember? Yeah. Um, but they're poor in the remake as well. You know, they're living in a shitty flat. They can't afford anything. Why the fuck is he paying for a nanny? Yeah. <laughs> if you can't afford it, then why are you doing it? It's true. It It is strange. Uh, we can come to that. I'm glad she's in it, but, yeah. you know, it makes no sense. Um, yeah, it is a bit like... I mean, with with this film, I suppose it's the standard where it wouldn't even be questioned. No. The wife going out to work when she's got two kids to kind of look after. 
Um, we shouldn't even do that much, <laughs> to be fair. No, she can't be out. She's just having a great time just relaxing in front of this entire film. <laughs> uh, it's bedtime, and Cyrus gets his first glimpse of the ghosts in the cellar younging, uh, using Uncle Plato's special goggles. Um, yeah. Is he in the cellar? I don't know where he is. Somewhere in the house. This is when we see the, the head being chopped off. And you like the hanging, lady. the hanging one as well. I was like, "Oh my god!" You know, because it had such a light, comedic, you know, almost a sitcom. Really, you could have made this film into a sitcom. I think. Yeah. Similar to the Adams Family mm-hmm. and the Munsters, you'd call it Thirteen Ghosts, and it would be the hilarious misadventures of this family and the thirteen ghosts that yeah. they live with. One ghost per episode. One ghost per episode, or, you know. Um, wow. Okay. Um, edit that part out. Why? Because I think we need to make that show. That actually sounds like a really good show. <laughs> so no one steal my idea. It's patented. It's copyrighted. We're going to do a 13 Ghosts TV. But you know what I mean? That, that yeah. style of sitcom. Um yeah, so it was really strange. Um, for us, I don't know if it's with the Blu-ray, I'm assuming it still worked in the cinema when it was first shown, but the red and blue filter really works. Yeah. Like, re- really, really works. Um, it looks great. Um, I don't know if you can get your hands on one of the original viewers. Or oh, someone amazing. Made, maybe made yeah. them, like a... Um, but yeah, I might have to check out Etsy for that. Um, the spirits as a whole include a wailing lady, uh, clutching hands, <laughs> a fiery skeleton, an Italian chef continuously murdering his wife and her lover in the kitchen, a hanging lady, an executioner holding a severed head, a fully grown lion with its headless tamer, a floating head, and we'll also see later uh, the ghost of Zorba himself. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Uncle Plato Zorba. Um, very Greek names, aren't, aren't they? They are. Um, I'm assuming not played by Greek actors in, in any way. <laughs> uh, Cyrus is horrified at the sight and has the number 13 burned onto his hand. <laughs> Free tattoo. When he grabs the book, book, uh, when he grabs the book, book found earlier. If that makes sense. Uh, the next day, Cyrus is, um, boss. Yeah. It's boss, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, he's finished interpreting the book and he learns that Plato had written the book detailing his capture of each of the ghosts, uh, with Plato himself becoming the 12th ghost. Yes, there are only 12 ghosts yeah. in there. So the Ouija board lied. Uh, the page relating to ghost number 13 has been left blank. Hilda calls him home straight away, and we see the ghost chef kill his cheating wife. <laughs> Again, this is... The ghosts move quite slow at times, don't they? Mm-hmm. And this one, um, he's kind of a caricature of an Italian chef. He's given chef, well, from, is it the Muppets? Yeah. Yeah. So he's given that energy. Um, and he finds his 
wife and uh, her lover and takes the meat cleaver. meat cleaver and straight into the top of her head. Yeah. But it's almost comical because he looks so stereotypical. Um, but it is like someone getting a meat cleaver in And the that's head. exactly how William Castle explained it to the ratings board. <laughs> oh, it's comedy. Like, oh, this looks really comical, guys, honestly. <laughs> Give me a PG. I don't know. We If we've learned anything recently, particularly with the Jaws films that we watched recently, you can get away with a lot. Yeah, that's true. You can probably get away with less now for, like, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... The ghosts, now not visible, start trashing the kitchen. Um, but Buck has all the tea from Elaine relating to <laughs> Emilio, the ghost chef. Now, apparently, Emilio isn't too pleased, though, and throws a cleaver at Cyrus, barely missing him. <laughs> Elaine spills more tea to Cyrus and Hilda. And she says that apparently Plato and her fell out and he became closer to Ben when she questioned his actions and became concerned for his mental state. Um, yeah, I think the, the ghost capturing was getting to him a little bit. <laughs> also, Plato withdrew all of his money from the bank, but didn't spend it. She believes it may be hidden somewhere in the house. Elaine, oh, she's really spilling the tea during this scene. <laughs> Elaine also believes Plato had been killed by the ghosts as his cause of death was asphyxiation with no one else around in the house. Um, so if his cause of death is asphyxiation, then why wasn't a murder investigation <laughs> open? Why is it like your uncle yeah. died, not your uncle was murdered? Yeah, did not think Elaine was suspicious. Well, like, yeah. <laughs> the woman who just hangs around the house looking like a witch. Um... So if that's if that was the actual cause of death, then surely the case should still be open. He didn't strangle yeah. himself. Um, she then goes on to warn Cyrus to leave the house as he may suffer a similar fate. Now, you'd think alarm bells would ring now, wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd think, oh, this woman's just said that he was strangled. Mm-hmm. And then she's warned us to leave the... She's told us that there is money potentially hidden in this house where she lives. And you can't pay her. But she still wants to stay. (laughs) She's then said that the guy was strangled. But according to her words, no one else was in the house. Only going off her, you know, word. She then tells you that you should probably leave... In case, because you might be next. Yeah. And I don't think... Oh, this Elaine, she might have something to do with this. <laughs> no, there's nothing suspicious here. Nothing suspicious here. Nothing to see. Um, we then get a floating candle um, with no real string visible. I couldn't see it. No, the candle actually looked... Yeah, popular, like, yeah. well done. Well done, guys. Um... That starts floating um, and points Cyrus in the direction of a button on Plato's four-post bed that lowers the canopy in a way that would squash anyone who was lying in the bed. 
What makes me laugh is how both dads in both of these films the whole time, then <laughs> all this stuff's going on like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if there's a ghost here. And there's like fucking things flying around. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is a ghost. Yeah. Well, this... He's still sceptical, like, throughout a lot of this film, way more than he should be. And also, he... He finds this button that some ghost... We're assuming the ghost of um, Plato has directed him to this button, um, which shows that, you know, Plato was probably murdered Mm -hmm. by this canopy squashing him. Cyrus does nothing with this information. (laughs) Nothing whatsoever. He don't tell anyone. He don't investigate. At no point does he accuse anyone of being a murderer, either Elaine or Ben. There's absolutely no point whatsoever. He's so oblivious. To him being like, told this information. He's oblivious to everything in life. I think he's dead inside because, like, <laughs> there's there's absolutely nothing he pays any real attention to in his film. He just breezes through life. We're clearly... Yeah. But <laughs> does nothing. He's got no interest maybe in anything. Maybe he's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sick of uh, struggling with money. Hilda ain't going out to get a job. I've just had enough. Maybe these ghosts will kill us. <laughs> it, like, it only gets worse a little later when uh, Ben and... Books start having a weird relationship. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, in the meantime, Medea returns from a date with Ben. So, uh, young love is blossoming. Wow. Um, and when they return, Cyrus and Hilda get some shut-eye in separate beds. Because, <laughs> again, this is 1960, and Lord forbid a married couple would be seen sharing a bed on film. <laughs> and there's no drama in between it either. He's like, oh, well, good night, honey. Not like, hang on, why are you not sharing a bed with me? Yeah. <laughs> but also, like, why are you not telling her about the floating candle <laughs> that showed you a button? Um, and pretty much spilt the tea on the murder weapon. <laughs> um, so Medea is startled in the night by a very dusty and cobweb-covered ghost slash corpse spoiler alert it's not one of the ghosts because it's not in red no blue so the screen doesn't go into the blue um so i think that's an indicator that this isn't a real ghost and someone's pulling a prank or someone's trying to scare her and they succeed. And as we've learned from the rest of William Castle's filmography, if you want to play a prank, it's got to be fucking elaborate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, this outfit, he's gone to a lot of effort to uh, design that mask to look exactly like a ghost somehow. <laughs> and it also has to happen near a window. Yeah. It's always near a window. Um, so, the next day, well, she screams, doesn't she? Yeah. Oh, it was a ghost. Oh. Um, the next day, sliding down the banister whilst no one's around, so he won't get into trouble, Buck manages to release two banknotes from some secret compartment, um, but doesn't notice them initially. He does notice Uncle Plato's goggles, though, and takes them to the cellar where he meets <laughs> the lion ghost and his headless trainer. 
This goes on for so long. I'm just watching his fucking. It goes mind. on really it's long. So funny. He's never in any danger. It's just no. kind of like. <laughs> it's oh my god! It's like the Star Wars holiday special when they're doing the yeah. uh, aerobics. Yeah, <laughs> but it's kind of this is like William Castle saying, "Look what we can do." I know. Yeah. Uh, Book finally sees the cash when he returns upstairs. I'm surprised no one else has seen it because considering he's in the cellar for so bloody long. Um, and it's $200, which is a big amount back then. And still now, actually, to be fair. Uh, ben arrives to witness this um, for plot purposes and asks Book questions on where and how he found the money. Uh, ben has a good nose around whilst Book takes Medea her breakfast because um, she's still in a state of shock. Um, but still, you know, in uh, old Hollywood tradition, made up with uh, full face and makeup and her hair done. Considering <laughs> she's been in bed with shock all day. Um, uh, ben then tricks Book into secretly searching for the money without the rest of the family's knowledge. Ben goes to see Cyrus at work and pushes for Cyrus to leave the house. Cyrus doesn't need much persuading, though, as the last three days have been some of the worst of his life. <laughs> Funny way of showing it. <laughs> to be- yeah. That's to begin with. Then Cyrus changes his mind very quickly uh, when the last page of Plato's book is translated and he learns of the hidden cash. They decide to have a seance with Elaine to ask <laughs> Uncle Plato where the money is hidden. Book- seance, you mean? S- seance. As, As, uh, was it the daughter who's on, or was it Book who's like, what's oh, a seance? Seance. seance. <laughs> uh, Book continues to tell everyone he has a secret. <laughs> so this thing is, the running joke is that Ben and Book have a secret. But Book keeps telling everyone that he has a secret but won't tell anyone what the secret is. So it's that, you know, childlike naivety of, you know, if you've actually got a secret, you need to keep the secret a secret. Yeah. Um, So he keeps telling everyone that he has a secret with Ben, the man he's only known (laughs) two days. The grown adult. The grown adult (laughs) that he's only known for maybe two or three days. Um, he keeps saying that he's got a secret. He won't tell anyone what this secret is. <laughs> and everyone, and I mean Hilda, Cyrus and Medea, each could not give a flying fuck <laughs> what this secret is. So he literally goes to his dad like, yeah, me and Ben got a secret. And he says, ah, oh, well, jolly good, kid. Ah, oh, well, don't worry about that. Oh, yeah, you have your secret. Like, no, no, seriously. This grown man has got a secret with your child. What exactly. the fuck? It sounds sketchy as fuck. It's red flags. Red flags. Stop like, this now. Even if you didn't think that, you know, Ben could be a possible paedophile, then think about what's in that book. There's secret money hidden in their yeah. house. There's a good chance it could be that. <laughs> yeah, but no, no, no sounding of alarm bells for anyone. <laughs> uh, before the seance can begin, Book finally finds the stash of cash. He tells Cyrus about his secret with Ben again. 
uh, to which Cyrus allows him to stay up a little longer to see Ben. So it's late. <laughs> it's past his bedtime. But Buck tells Cyrus that Ben is coming round without anyone else's knowledge <laughs> that he's visiting. And Cyrus says, oh, well, if Ben's coming round, you can stay up a little longer. Um... Wow. What is it with wow. fucking horror films and strange men and children having the... That they don't know, having these really random relationships and no one questioning it. It's like Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Oh, here's this man I found in the woods. He's going to my bedroom, mum. Okay, have fun. Like, what? Yes. <laughs> because essentially horror is based on people making very stupid decisions. <laughs> um through the history of horror because in so many horror films the sort of story relies on people staying somewhere where they probably shouldn't stay and anyone with any sense would have just pissed off (laughs) much sooner and then we wouldn't have had a film (laughs) And I think this is... I think this is the quintessential one. This is... Oh, yeah. Dumb this, people... This family deserve an award. Yeah. <laughs> Stupid. Um, so... Oh, yeah. Where was I? Yeah, so, so um, Cyrus allows Buck to stay up to see Ben. Uh, during the seance, Plato's ghost appears from his painting and takes over the body of Cyrus. Screeching 13 repeatedly. Um, This, I think, is the best that the um, ghost filter works. Yeah. It it looks fantastic. So how they've done it is that the ghost of Plato is um, layered, for want of a better word, on top of uh, Cyrus, his figure. And literally, if you look through the blue, you can't see anything. Just mm-hmm. Cyrus acting the fool. Um, if you go on to red, you you can just see Plato. Yeah. It work, really, yeah, really works well. Great. This is the best it looks through the film. And, you know, for 1960, I, I think that's really cool. Yeah. You know. Um, Elaine proclaims, the ghosts are restless, angry. Death will once again return to this house tonight. Um, she ain't wrong. No. She ain't wrong. Um, but, you know, they misunderstand and think it's one of them that's going to die. <laughs> uh, we see Ben check the button on Plato's bed. So this is the big reveal that Ben was the one who uh, killed Plato. Uh-huh. Um, he carries Buck to bed, to Plato's bed, ready to murder him for Plato's money. So, yeah, zero to a hundred, really quick. Yeah. Um, as the canopy lowers, the ghost of Plato appears again, forcing Ben onto the bed and waking Buck just in time to save him from being squished. The next morning, Cyrus and his family count the recovered money and decide to stay in the house. Um, Medea helps us all out by asking, why did Ben dress as the ghost of Uncle Plato and appear at my window? 
Yeah, talking of zero to a hundred. <laughs> like, that question for us. He dies in that house. He fucking yeah. dies, and next week we're like, oh wow, what an odd deal that was. Ow. <laughs> like, oh, I should have known it was him all along. It's literally like the end of Scooby Doo. It really, yeah, very, very much so. Uh, Elaine says the ghosts have left for now, but predicts that they will return as long as the film makes money. Much to Books' <laughs> delight. And, un- and an unseen force blows the special glasses into smithereens. Uh, they went- we then get William Castle again, informing us that if we still don't believe in ghosts, we should take our ghost viewers home with us that evening. And as we lay down to sleep, take a look through the red lens. Yeah, I can't lens. say that worked. Um, we didn't actually see any ghosts in the flat, so... No, we didn't. Although you um, did hear a noise last night, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was Ben coming to give me a secret. Um, I can't tell you what it is, though. Do you not remember? No. Oh, well, you woke me up to tell me that somebody shushed very loudly um, somewhere in our front room. Well, thank you for telling the world... <laughs> About my fucking weird dreams. Thank you very much. Sure, everyone's really interested. I got woken up for it. Turns out it was Lord in our front room. (laughs) Shushing us. (laughs) Anyway. Well, um, it's not my fault you were affected by uh, 13 13 ghosts. Are you not going to mention Elaine and the broomstick? What about Elaine and the broomstick? She had a nice little shot of her looking at a broom and then giving a cheeky little look to the camera. Oh, did she? Yeah. Well, if I was going to mention it, I would have mentioned it. So, no, I wasn't. Yes, 13 Ghosts 13 Ghosts is a classic. Um, an absolute camp classic. And, excuse me, and one of those films where you have to appreciate it more for entertainment and camp value rather than its writing. Yeah, it's, it's one of those films where you can forgive a lot because it's just so damn entertaining. Yeah. Um, I love it. Really just so enjoyable. I would love, love, love to see it on the big screen with the red and blue filter, the ghost viewer. Yeah. Um, I would love that. I would, and I say that for every William Castle film, you know, with all the gimmicks, um, you know, I would, I would absolutely love to be able to do that. I don't know if we'd be. Oh my god, to... you're right. You sound like you're gonna cry. <laughs> I don't... It's my throat has been uh, very dry today. I do apologise to everyone. Very unprofessional, um, but yeah. Uh, well, something that isn't quite as camp, um, but something that I I think is kind of fun. Uh, we come on to come on to well. Excuse me. We move Who are you on. on to? We move on to the nostalgia fest for some of us. The cult favorite, two thousand and one's Thirteen Ghosts, which starts with Ghost Hunter Cyrus Kritikos, played by F. Murray Abraham, and his psychic assistant Dennis Rafkin, played by Matthew Lillard, uh, as they lead a team on a mission to capture a spirit called the Juggernaut. Now, Matthew Lillard is just in this film to make constant pop culture references and overact more than he has ever done in any other role. This is the most Matthew Lillard role he's played. 
What? Not even Scooby Doo. Even Overax Mordor. Whenever he gets possessed, he's like, like it's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like he sounds like he's having a really intense orgasm every time. And then over the night, it's like, yeah, well, what if uh, one of you's happened to scream? Oh, yeah, hey. that's true. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, what about a ghost from 1992? Like, constantly, all the time. It's like, okay, we get it. You were hired because you're in Scream. Several men, including Cyrus, uh, are killed in violent ways whilst the team is able to catch the ghost. And it is very gory. Yeah, yeah, it is much gorier than the, well, the first film. Yeah. Cyrus's nephew, Arthur, a widower, is informed by Cyrus's estate lawyer, Ben Moss, that he has inherited Cyrus's mansion. He's informed this after a flashback of opening credits showing how his wife died, complete with some of the worst fake laughing you'll ever hear. Oh my god, why such a cheesy start? Like, when you're first introduced to the family, it is so cheesy. And it's like, the two kids are outside, and um, she's, I can't remember her name. What's Sean Elizabeth's character? Kathy. Uh, Kathy. Um, she's there, she's like, oh, you're the best brother in the world. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Yeah, but then the dad is there, he's like, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, the like, I've never heard laughing like it. <laughs> um, financially insecure, Arthur decides to move there with his two children, Kathy and Bobby, and then Nanny Maggie. Absolute slay queen. Um, yes. Best part of the film. Yes, that is very true. Uh, d- I love, and... Oh, no, are we, are we going to talk about her... Yeah, yeah, we'll compare her with Hilda. Spoiler alert. D- Dennis meets the family as they tour the mansion. It looks fucking ridiculous. And I don't care how poor you are, no one would want to live in this fucking shithole. <laughs> like, I mean, come on. It looks nice, yeah. If it was a fucking art gallery, you wouldn't want to live in it. Like, this, the place is surrounded by windows. You've got no privacy. It's weird. It's very strange. Because they all seem really impressed. And it's great like, oh set God, design. It's fabulous. Um, but there are no traditional walls. No. <laughs> so everything you do, you're on full display. Where the fuck's the plumbing go? For the toilets and... Exactly. Like, <laughs> it, it's, honestly... It... Excuse me. I get accused of over-analyzing okay. these things. Okay. As a child, I never thought once about this. Oh, no. yeah, that'd be cool to go to live in. But looking at it now as an adult, uh, you know, living in our, our, in our own place that we're renting. Come on, imagine if this place was just surrounded by fucking windows. I could not think of anything worse. I mean, I refuse to uh, go to any sort of hotel or anything like that where I have to share a bathroom. Yeah. Um, let alone... Having a shit with your whole family being able to watch from any <laughs> corner of the house. It's it's so shit. It really is. I'm, but like I said, the set design is great. It looks really good. Um, but it's a bit of a weird thing between this and House on Haunted Hill where the directors are like, oh, if William Castle was around these days, he'd have a really technology, technologically advanced <laughs> house. Um, but yeah, it, it's... I think this would have worked better if it wasn't like a home. Yeah. If they'd just found themselves there and they couldn't get out. A bit, a bit like Cube. Yeah. I'm assuming. I haven't seen Cube. But it's what I'm assuming Cube is yeah, like. Yeah, something like that. Where they found them. Like an escape room or something mm. like that. Oh, that would have been really cool, actually. Yeah. Like an escape room. Another great idea. Yeah. Um, the residence is made entirely of glass sheets inscribed with Latin phrases. 
which Dennis recognises as barrier spells. Yeah, also, there's fucking Latin written all over the place. <laughs> this would be such an inconvenience to live in. Yeah, apparently they tra- it translates to the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I may have made that up. No, I swear I read that somewhere. He discovers that the 12 angry ghosts he and Cyrus captured are imprisoned in the house. 12 angry ghosts. Held- <laughs> now, that's a remake I would love to watch. <laughs> Held captive by the spouse. He looks like he's having a very intense orgasm whilst figuring this out and spotting a ghost. It, it, yeah, Matthew Lillard is just ridiculous. Um, he, well, he's playing a psychic, isn't he? Yeah. And he does the um, That's So Raven thing. Does. Where when he's having a psychic vision, he sort of gazes into the air and then kind of has... Well, Raven doesn't, but he go one-ups her with uh, having like an orgasm afterwards. <laughs> I love Matthew Lillard, though. I, he could star in anything. And he'll always be entertaining. He's... A li- and I hope he's not listening. Um, he's a little one note. Yeah, of course he is. But that note is pretty good. Yeah. So it's like, oh, do, do that. Do, do what you yeah. did in Scream. Do what you did in Scream. It's very entertaining. Uh, as he warns Arthur, Moss unwittingly triggers a, me- a mechanism that seals the house and releases the ghost. He dies when a set of sliding doors cut him in half in an iconic scene after he compli- after he uh, complicates the angry compliments the angry princess on her nice tits. Um yeah, the the t- <laughs> she's got she's fully nude through the film <laughs> this ghost. Um but the makeup effects on her breasts I'm assuming to enlarge them in some some way um, because this is a horror film from the two thousands, looks weird. They, I think they do look a bit strange. And, and forgive me if that's not the case, and you're listening. I, <laughs> I apologize, but they do look pretty fake. Okay. But like no, I mean not the breasts themselves. I mean like the the skin that they've created. Oh shit! I just fell through that hole you were digging. Uh... It's not a hole. <laughs> It's just, if if you're not clever enough to understand what I'm saying... If Giovanni's listening, she's going to be fuming. That's on you. That's not on she's, me. She's got another Giovanni number. Okay. You do realise it's Giovanni. <laughs> well, it's Giovanni. Giovanni's different. Um, Giovanni. Bobby sees several of the ghosts, including... Wait, the... that's not the point I was making. The, the split in half death yeah. is the one I always heard of, and it's yeah, yeah. really pretty cool, actually. It is. It is. it is, and it, it has actually held up, like, what, 21 years later? Yeah. Still looks good. So we get CGI? Mm, maybe. Or, like, part CGI, part practical. It, it could be. It I mean, good. yeah. I was in pain because the special effects were that good, um, but, you know... So was everyone else in 2001. Let it go. Bobby sees several of the ghosts, including the withered lover, his mother Jean, who died of injuries sustained in a house fire. He is knocked unconscious and dragged away. Dennis uses a pair of spectral glasses that allowed the wearer to see the supernatural realm to avoid the ghosts. Yet he's still there like, fucking ghosts. What the fuck are you talking about? What ghosts? There ain't no ghosts here. Like, ghosts standing right in front of them. There ain't no fucking ghosts. What the fuck is it? Like, seriously. He thinks it's VR, You're a fucking moron. The Jackal, one of the most dangerous ghosts, attacks Kathy and because it's 2001, he rips the top open for absolutely no reason. Uh, and Arthur, who is still like, I don't know. I don't know if that was a ghost that attacked me. Um, but they're saved by Kalina Orezia, 
a spirit liberator who is attempting to free the ghosts. Kathy disappears, and the four adults gather in the library where Arthur learns that Jean's ghost is also in the house. It was the, kind of the first moment in me, oh, for fuck's sake, when Shannon Elizabeth is being attacked and her top gets ripped yeah, open. it's so And there's a zoom in on yeah. it as well. It's like, are you fucking They're serious? trying to make out that she's a child. They really are. They keep referring to her as a child. Also, I've missed it on my nose, but there is a scene prior to this where Shannon Elizabeth... <laughs> Acts like she has never seen a bathroom before. Like, yeah. she's joined by the angry princess and, and her nice tits. And uh, she's just there watching as a ghost. She gets herself a bloody bath. And Shannon Elizabeth's like, oh my god, i got a sink, i got a toilet, oh my god. And then when she finds the bath, I have never seen anyone so happy to see a bath before. Like, she starts running the water, putting it in her face. It's, it's like, so... Mate, it's just a fucking bathroom. It's so forced. <laughs> so I'm assuming that the, the ghost princess, her story is that she killed herself in the bath. Yeah. And so when she's a ghostly presence within this bathroom, but um, Kathy can't see it because she's not wearing the goggles. Um, but we keep cutting between the two. So it looks like Kathy is washing herself with bloody water. But this only works because Kathy, despite having stood in front of a sink for a very long time, <laughs> washes her face in the bath, like leaning over the bath and then washing her face. Because it wouldn't have worked if it was the no. sink. Even though any normal person washes their face... At the sink. I'd love to see if they actually shrunk her down and put her in the sink and yeah. had a bath in there instead. <laughs> it's just kind of one of those things like, oh, for fuck's sake. You know, I can suspend belief, but I don't know anyone that uses the bath. And if you do, let me know. I'll stand <laughs> corrected. But who owns a sink, a perfectly working sink, and decides to have to kneel down on the floor to wash their face in the bath. <laughs> Cleaner explains that the house is a machine powered by the captive ghosts and that allows its users to see the past, present and future. The only way to shut it down is through the creation of a 13th ghost from a sacrifice of love. Dun, dun, dun. We then get a rundown of all the ghosts. Number one, the firstborn son the ghost of Billy Michaels, a boy who was a fan of cowboy films and got killed for cultural inappropriation. Cultural appropriation. Yeah, he is dressed uh, as a stereotypical Native American, isn't he? Yeah. Um, but however he was... I don't know how he was killed. We don't... Arrow to the head. It was an arrow to the head, but I don't know who from. Or I'll what. get to this shortly. Oh, the torso, okay. he is the ghost of a gambler called Jimmy the Gambler Gambino. <laughs> what a name. The bound woman, she was a cheerleader named Susan Legro, who was born privileged and had a pension uh, for seducing men and tossing them away. More ways than one. The withered lover, she is Jean, Arthur's wife. That's all she's got. The torn <laughs> prince, uh, he's the ghost of... <laughs> Arthur's wife. Stole Jean. The torn prince, he is the ghost of uh, Royce Clayton. Born in 1940 with a gifted baseball star in high school. Uh, who was a gifted baseball star in high school. High school. Oh my god. Uh, a beat with uh, attitude issues and a superiority complex. 
The angry princess, she is Dana Newman, who did not believe in her own natural beauty. Yeah. The pilgrimess, uh, she is the ghost of Isabella Smith, an English woman who travelled across the Atlantic and settled in New England during colonial times. The great child and the dying mother, the ghosts of Margaret and Harold Shelburne. She was an attraction in the carnival due to her being only three feet tall. The Hammer, he is the ghost of an African-American blacksmith, George Markley, who lived in a small town in the 1890s. The Jackal, he's the ghost of Ryan Coon, uh, who was small to in who was born in 1887 to a prostitute. And the Juggernaut, he's the ghost of a serial killer named Horace Breaker Mahoney. And Arthur realises that he must become the 13th ghost to save his children. Now... I've read you the short versions there. Oh, my Lord. One thing that kind of knocked my rating and my enjoyment of this film down a little um, was the director's weird obsession with rape. Um, And let's face it, all of those female characters... Little problematic. Would be the writer's um, obsession, wouldn't it? Well, yeah. Whoever the fuck wrote this film, um, should I say? But I think it was the director who said it on the commentary. Okay. Um, now, I mean, look at the angry princess. She died because she she never be beautiful. There we go. Uh, time and time again. Or she didn't think she was. She beautiful. didn't think she was beautiful. Um, you know, the jackal had to be born to a prostitute, and I don't think that's in a sex worker positive way. Um, yeah, a lot of these had the word rape within the descriptions. Okay. Like, the circus uh, child and mother, the child was born through her being raped. And it's like, okay, hold the fuck up. You're making a 13 Ghost remake. No one needed to even know these backstories, first of all. Like, why the fuck are you spending so much time reading out these backstories? It goes on forever. Second of all... Is that directly from the film, what you read out? Apart so from... this is from the commentary, the DVD commentary. Okay. From the director. So this is on IMDb, word for word, taken from yeah. the commentary. Um, so he spends all this commentary talking about these backstories with these ghosts and everything. Yeah. But it's like, okay, why did sexual assault need to be involved... At all. That is like the master of mentioning something and not dealing with it. And what's even worse is that you think it's worthless enough to mention it in the commentary. Like, I mean, in the film it would have been problematic enough in itself to include it for absolutely no reason. But to then be like, oh yeah, so this is what was going on here. And then include it there. Like, what the fuck? What are you doing? Like, that's so unnecessary. This is one thing. It's not something to be included in a horror film. No. Just for a cheap shock. This is one thing I've absolutely noticed in films since we've started this podcast is that in terms of trying to make something seem worse, a lot of filmmakers, male filmmakers, Mm -hmm. just throw in either the word rape or the rape itself without dealing with it. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of become somewhat dulled, yeah. It, it, for want of a better word, but it's kind of not very shocking. No, 
because these filmmakers just throw it out there willy-nilly. Yeah. You know, it's a horror film. You know, it's an over-the-top, silly, gory horror film. Yeah. That's all it needs to be. Yes, you know, people could say, well, the, the on-screen deaths, you know, why aren't you treating that the same? Well, mm. it's, it's different. It's different. Because that's what horror film is about. Yeah. But this is like a fantasy horror film. Yeah. You know, this isn't meant to be realistic in any way. No, it's and it's not. I don't think... I'd, I've never known anyone who has been split in half with a glass door in, in the way that it is in this film. You know, it's not a realistic mm-hmm. film. But when you're just throwing the idea of rape and the word rape out there willy-nilly... Yeah. Well, rape is a very real thing that happens to a lot of people... And, yeah. you know, and it is a big deal. And you're not treating it as the big deal it should be. So, I mean, it was written by five men, obviously. Yeah. Um, two of which were uncredited. One of the uncredited writers is actually James Gunn. I see. Um, who was responsible for these storylines, I, I don't know. Uh, but also, it's not a commentary, sorry. It's a special feature on the DVD where the production and the makeup team go through them, each one. I was going to say, because she doesn't go through them like this. No. In the film. It, it's just very... It's not very brief, but she's brief in yeah. the film itself, isn't she? Yeah. But yeah, no, it just... Do it's you, just an, so unnecessary. Because they didn't show any of this backstory. Exactly. They just show the ghosts. So do you think that potentially they were looking for a Conjuring-style spin-offs? Maybe. So you'd have a spin-off... This is the story of a girl called Lucky. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean. This they would have each have their own yeah. story or film. Yeah. Yeah. Or they would make a TV series, like I suggest, but obviously not a comedy that would go. Each episode would mm. deal with each of their stories, yeah. I suppose. But yeah, just just uh, didn't want to read the full stories. I just thought I'd mention how ridiculous. Yeah. It is that that would even be. I, in anyone's mind when writing this film. Um, it's completely unnecessary because for what purpose is it really? It's no not, connection to the original. Exactly. But it's not fitting any purpose. No. It's just, you know, it, it's, it becomes a buzzword and yeah. it definitely isn't a buzzword. No. Uh, armed with the spectral glasses, Arthur and Dennis enter the basement to find the children. Dennis barricades Arthur behind a glass sheet for his protection, but is beaten to death by the hammer and the juggernaut, two other dangerous ghosts. <gasps> it is revealed that Cyrus faked his death to lure Arthur to the house. Kalina is his partner, revealed when she knocks Maggie unconscious with a large book and promptly kisses Cyrus upon his arrival. Dun dun dun. The big reveal. Cyrus has orchestrated the abduction of Kathy and Bobby so that Arthur will become the 13th ghost which will not stop the machine, as Kalina had claimed, but trigger its activation. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. <laughs> not too different to the House on Haunted Hill. No, twist. not really. There was a, You kind of knew there was a twist coming at some yeah. point, because the original had a, had a twist. It's fine. It is what it is. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, I don't feel like we got to know this Kalina enough. No. For it to be that shocking. Yeah, when it happened, it was just kind of like, okay, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, like, well, someone had to, and, you know, it was her. I, I assumed it would have been Matthew Lillard, but he, he was already dead by this point, so he was the hero. 
Once Cyrus kills Kalina, who objected to Cyrus putting the children in danger, and summons the ghosts to activate the machine. See, that renders it all a bit I know, pointless yeah. <laughs> as well. It's like, why does the character of Kalina exist? Yeah. Because they could have saved themselves a little bit of money, even though Ember Davids is, is a, a good actress, um, serving real Sarah Paulson realness. <laughs> um, but they could have cut that character and just have Matthew Lillard's character yeah. be the one. If you're just going to kill her straight away afterwards, you know, you could have just had Matthew Lillard in that role yeah. and then had him die by the hands of the ghost yeah. anyway, you know? Uh, in the main hall, Arthur witnesses all 12 ghosts orbiting a clockwork device of rotating metal rings with his children at the centre. I'm still not sure he believes that they're there. But <laughs> he fights Cyrus whilst uh, Maggie disrupts the machine's controls, releasing the ghosts from its power and causing the machine to go haywire. Yes, Maggie saving the day. And the ghosts hurl Cyrus into the moving rings, slicing him to pieces in wonderful CGI glory. Yeah, that was definitely 2001. Uh, with the encouragement of Dennis's ghost, Arthur jumps through the machine safely to protect his children. Yeah, just when you thought you had enough Matthew Lillard, he shows, like, yeah, I'm a ghost now as well. Yeah, you get <laughs> uh, The walls of the house shatter as the malfunctioning machine rips itself apart, freeing the ghosts. Jean's ghost tells them she loves them without moving her mouth before she disappears. As the family departs, ventriloquist. As the family departs from the house, Maggie angrily declares that she is quitting as their nanny, and we get "Mirror Mirror" by Ra Digger herself over the end credits. Again, that's some queen behaviour. It is star in the film and get yes, the last word. Yes, gets the last word, saves the day. Yeah, <laughs> gets the last word, and her song is playing over the end credits. Yeah. That is some queen behaviour right there. Yes. I mean, you know what? I don't hate this film. I mean, dodgy backstories for the ghosts aside and the dodgy CGI and dodgy acting and dodgy editing. But, you know, I think because I watched it at the time, I've got that nostalgia there, so I can still have fun whilst re-watching it. Um, for 2022 standards, it's, it's just... It, it looks very much like your typical... Early 2000s, what they thought at the time was cool and hip horror film. Yeah, it, for me, because I have no nostalgia attached to it, um, watching it for the first time in 2022, I was just like, I've seen this film a hundred times. Yeah. It, it, I, don't, I didn't feel like it brought anything new or particularly interesting to horror, even by 2001 standards, you know. Um, it is what it is. I'm not rushing to watch it again. Was I entertained for the most part? You know, was I blown away? Not even close. So, yeah. And that's the truth of the matter. <laughs> that's 13 ghosts. <laughs> so that brings us to our first round of battles. Cinematography scares ghosts and soundtrack. Starting in 1960, where the cinematography is just that classic haunted house movie from the 60s. You know, it's still sort of that late 50s feel to it. Um, that is, it works 
perfectly to watch around Halloween time. Like, I mean, you watch it any time of the year, but, you know, it kind of gives you that feeling of Halloween. Yeah, the kind of corny Halloween. Yeah. You know, that um, bobbing for apples, candy corn yeah. style of, of Halloween film that I, I love. That's the kind of stuff... Because we watch horror films all year round. Mm-hmm. Um, Halloween is when I, I, I like the corny nature of it all. Yeah. And the score goes hand in hand with that. Like, it's very over the top and in your face. Like, when something happens, it's like, Dum! straight away. Like, yeah. it's... It really over-dramatises everything, and it really works really well. And so William Castle is fantastic at it. He's so good at it. Yeah, he's B-movie king. Yeah. You know, for a reason. You know, it's it's low budget, it's cheesy, but yet there's still something really creepy about it as well. It's those ghosts. Uh, I suppose, really, it's the jarring nature of this stupid family, Mm. you know, and... It's almost a comedy, yeah. like I said. But these ghosts are genuinely really quite creepy. Yeah. So it lures you into a, a false sense of security. You're expecting, you know, the ghosts to be comedic. And, and one of them is. Mm. Um, but some of them really have real scary imagery. Yeah. And it's for 1960. I wasn't wetting myself. But, um, well, not because of the uh, the film. <laughs> um, but you know, genuinely creepy. Yeah, and because how many times can I say creepy? And, and because you have the ghost viewer as well, the three D glasses, and because it's so clear through that, it just adds to it as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, this you can see the string in some scenes. Uh, but there's just it's just so much charm so much charm to it that is what it has and that is what a lot of william castle's films have is a charm and you can forgive a lot because the rest is so good mm-hmm. you know so you can forgive a little bit of shoddy um special effects here and there um you can forgive you know the, sometimes the decisions are so stupid, it's ridiculous. You can forgive yeah. all that. Because it's just a fun film to watch. Um, why am I giving the conclusion? No, what no, are you yeah. talking about here? 2001. Uh, the is good. I mean, it doesn't look like a bad film. But it just makes it look like the House on Haunted Hill remake. And it just looks like every other film. And I feel like I say this, whenever we have a remake from the early 2000s, I feel like I say this a lot, but... It looks like every other film from around that time. It's the true. editing, you know, the, the new metal video editing, a bit of slow motion every now and then. It's just... it. It's a product of its time, but not in the same way as the 1960 version, where it's like, oh, that's, you know, that's really enjoyable. It's almost like listening to your favourite pop song. You know, it's uh, like eating a bag of sweets. It's it's something that just brings you joy. There's just something about it that's just so camp and cheesy. But with this, I don't know. I don't know if it's because we lived through this era. I mean, surely I thought that would help. But it kind of, you look back at it now and you're like, oh, it didn't have to look like a music video. It is. I suppose for us, we've kind of become accustomed to that style. Yeah. And in a lot of popular culture... It was saturated with that style of filmmaking, whether it be in films, particularly horror films, 
or in music videos. Yeah. So I suppose because we lived through it and because we've continued to watch those over the years. Yeah. That we're kind of like, oh, you know, if it was the first time we'd ever seen it, maybe back in 2001, mm. if this was your gateway to horror, then you'd be like, oh, man, this is so cool. But by now, it's like, I've seen it all before. Yeah, and the soundtrack sounds very similar as well to uh, other similar films from around that time. But we're talking about seeing it at the time, you know, as a kid, this did really scare me. Uh, I, I thought it was really scary. Um, as an adult, not so much. Um, but I will say, the makeup and practical effects are fantastic. Yes. That is one thing that it, it definitely does well. Not to the point it hurts, like that, that person in 2001, but still very, very good. Yeah, and I do think that the makeup effects on, d- despite what I said earlier, in general, the makeup effects on the ghosts are done very well. Yeah. Um, I do I do believe that, and the, the CGI isn't always great but it's a product of its time you know you can forgive that uh but the practical effects when they occur are really well done yeah and i think with the makeup of the ghosts you know as we've said the the 1960 ghosts are pretty creepy um so if you're gonna one-up it and you're gonna remake it and bring it to a modern perspective you've got to go one step further and make those ghosts really scary and they they did a really, really good job. It, it Yeah, it's... Because we, we sit here and we see these remakes of classic films and we're like, oh, well, it has to go extra. It goes too big. It puts too much out there. It gives too much backstory. It's too much, too much, too much. Um, but by this point, in terms of special effects, in terms of gore, that's what the audience expected. And yeah. that's what the audience needed. Because you've had 41 years worth of horror cinema. Mm -hmm. So they're in a completely different place. So, of course, it was going to be gorier. Of course, it was going to be more violent. Because that's what a horror audience expected in 2001. Um, You know, you could take away points for not defying expectations. But that's personal for me. Yeah. Because I'd felt like I'd seen the film so much. But in terms of creating a 13 Ghosts remake in the year 2001, it's what they had to do. Yeah. And they did it well. Yeah. And props to them for not going to CGI with the ghosts as well, which they could have easily done. thank God for that. Like uh, The Haunted. (laughs) Yeah. But these are different kind of ghosts. Like, these ghosts had to have some individuality. Yeah to them because it was integral to the plot yeah absolutely i mean for me i want to give everything to the original except the ghosts i want to give that to the remake yeah i will because they they have a little they don't talk because they don't have a lion basically yeah (laughs) but they have more personality to them not including their backstory (laughs) but but i mean they they have in terms of their look there's more to it, you know, it's more elaborate and it works better because in the original that it's just kind of, like I said, you know, um, like the caricature of the chef and what a cheating wife. They they don't 
necessarily stand out too much from each other apart from one's a head and one's got no head and one, yeah. one is a lion. Um, but yes, I mean, the, the winner of that round is, is definitely the original, but a point does go to the remake. Now, on to round two, the second and final round. They should probably put some more rounds. I, just, I don't know what else I think compare. so. I think maybe we... Oh, well, this might be a conversation after the podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. Keep posted. Keep <laughs> Developing. Um, we experimented with Madonna and hopefully that Exactly. That, well. that was a fun Saturday night. Um, <laughs> now on to characters. Excuse me. I just realised what you did there. Now on to characters. You probably would as well. I'd really enjoy that. Cyrus slash Arthur. The Dad. 1960 played by Donald Woods and 2001... Played by Tony Shalob. Nineteen Shalob. Shalob. Yeah. You know, I've I've been a fan because I, I loved Monk, uh, when it was on back in the day, and uh, I was a big fan. Um, uh, I've never known how to pronounce that surname. I do apologize. Well, nineteen sixties Donald Woods. Um, I mean, have we ever seen a more carefree character in a horror film? It has absolutely no problem with. Anything that's going on, including his dumb kid playing with a fucking Ouija board. Like, he literally tells him how to use yeah, it. Yeah. After he was told this house is haunted, um, he's just not bothered about the ghosts. He's not bothered at all that his child has a secret of a grown man. Um, he's told whilst possessed that someone in the house is going to die that night and be the 13th ghost. He's like, wow, it's time for bed now, family. Oh. He's a bit wrapped up in his own <laughs> shit, isn't he? But what is he wrapped up in? He has nothing going on. Exactly. He's wrapped up in nothing. <laughs> but, I mean, it's a difficult one because as much as he's so oblivious to everything that's going on, which makes him a frustrating character, you've got the 2001 version where he's just, like, constantly like, I don't know fucking ghosts. What ghosts? Like, what's his daughter being thrown in the fucking air by a ghost? He's like, oh, no, I don't know what ghost. Until it's far too late. I suppose that's the problem. On one hand, you've got the father who believes but doesn't care. Yeah. And then the other father who just flat out refuses to believe. <laughs> like, which one's worse? I don't but know. But he's always angry as well in 2001. Like, he's always angry about he's something. He's had enough, isn't he? He has absolutely <laughs> had enough. No wonder the laugh at the start was so fake. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's probably angry then but as well. But he had enough before the ghosts. <laughs> Um, which one are we giving it to? I don't know. Um, I'd maybe give it 2001. I think he's maybe a little more well-rounded yeah. in that one. Um, and plus, being a huge fan of Monk, <laughs> I do love Tony. And, um, yeah, I, I think it has to win one of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Congratulations. Congratulations, 2001. Um, You've got more interesting dad. I suppose it's more forgivable the flat out not believing than the believing but not giving a shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up we have the uh, woman in the family. Hilda in 1960 played by Rosemary de Camp. What a name. What a drag name. What That is such a good drag name. And Maggie in 2001 played by Ra Digger. Um, two very different characters. Yeah. You know, one's a wife, one's a nanny. Um, I kind of feel like 2001's a good advantage here because in 1960, 
She does fuck all. She does. She's kind of this straight woman to Cyrus's more comedic tendencies. Yeah. I mean, she gets uh, she gets gaslit a fair bit by her husband. Um, yes. You know, she she knows what's going on. She's very much that stereotype. She's worried what's going on. Her husband couldn't give a shit. Um, She's like, oh, Cyrus, you've got to come home. You've got to come home. Look what they've done to my kitchen. Yeah, and that's it. Um, whereas in 2001, uh, Maggie has the classic line, did the lawyer split? After he's split in half by two doors. <laughs> She's definitely the comedic relief. And she has some really great scenes with Matthew Lillard as well. I thought their uh, their chemistry was great. I mean, not a romantic interest, but I thought their line delivery bounced off each other really well. Yeah. I... I... The, the history of sort of African-American women in horror... Um, isn't always the best, is it? No. Um, and I think sometimes the horror genre has played on stereotypes mm-hmm. of sort of larger than life characters, sassy, very one note. And I think sometimes that did happen. Um, but I think the delivery was great i think yeah. uh radiger was a, a good actress considering she she wasn't an actress yes yeah. she was a um a hip-hop artist mm-hmm. um i think she does well um and she does the comedy well uh, as well and i think i, I kind of wish she was a little more well-rounded as a character um, but she saves the day. She does. I mean, it makes fantastic. Which yeah, that is wonderful. Great. You know, for an African American woman in a horror film, mm. um, I think it's great that in the she survives. She is the hero. Yeah. In the end, uh, despite also being comic relief at times, yeah. she is the hero. She's a really likable character, um, and. You know, you. I'm pleased that the film ended on her. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, her character had absolutely no business being there. I Means her dad was poor, but you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm glad she was there, uh, and I would say she's definitely the winner for that round. Actually, I completely agree because old what's her name Hilda, is it Hilda? Yeah. Um. She she didn't really do anything. She, she was didn't. she was just kind of the mo- the mother who was like oh. Yeah, she... in my kitchen. The, it's the only one I remember. <laughs> the only time I remember her being, um, like, centre stage in any way is which, oh, my kitchen, it's a mess. <laughs> yes. So, Maggie, you're the winner. Medea and Kathy in 1960, and the daughter of the family, in 1960, played by Joe Morrow. Uh, 2001, played by Shannon Elizabeth. Teen celebrity... All star, I don't know where I'm going with this, but she had to be in everything basically. Yeah, she around that time she was in a lot of films. Yeah. Um, I like Shannon Elizabeth. Yeah, I mean, she's not the best actress that's, no. that's ever been, but I think she does an all right job. My biggest issue, and it really annoyed me, and I know it shouldn't, but that's who I am as a person, 
is the fact that 27-year-old Shannon Elizabeth kept being referred to as a child throughout the whole film. Yeah, even after she'd had her top ripped open and we had a zoom in on her boobs. She's like, oh, they, they all say, oh, where are the children? Where are the children? Oh, we can't harm them. They're children. It's like Shannon... And, and I suppose because we've watched American Pie mm. and we've watched American Pie 2 and Jack Frost, um, we kind of see her as more of an adult actress. Yeah. You know, I know she was playing teens, but it was one of those much older playing a teen so that she can do nudity sort of thing. Um, so to keep referring to her as a child in this film was just very jarring. Yeah. And I was very confused. And it makes the scene where her top gets ripped creepy. Yeah. Because you keep referring to her as a child. Now, yeah. I know in real life, Shannon Elizabeth was a 27-year-old mm-hmm. woman. So I don't know why the film didn't change the dialogue after Shannon Elizabeth was cast. Yeah. Because I'm assuming the role was written for a much younger actress. Mm-hmm. Now, Shannon Elizabeth, she didn't look 27. No. She looked much... She didn't look much younger. You she know. didn't look like a child, though. She didn't look like a child. <laughs> you know. And she wasn't treated physically like a child. No. But the dialogue kept referring, refer, the, the, referring to her as a child. It was yeah. so weird. Yeah. Yeah, it was very strange. The character wasn't great. I I didn't think she was that interesting. No. There's a big chunk of the film where she's not even part of the, the plot. But then we have Jo Morrow, uh, who was an absolute camp queen. Camp queen. She was so horny. So, like, for an entire oh, film. gosh. She knew how to get a man. Shane yeah. the man was a murderer, but she knew how to get him. Um, yeah, she she was dying for a piece of him, um, and she got away, I mean, I assume so anyway. Well, the other day. She has absolutely no time for her younger brother, um, and she doesn't even, <laughs> there's a scene where she is in bed, this is queen behaviour, her brother brings her bre- uh, breakfast in bed, he's like, oh, aren't you going to get up today? She's like, why do I need to get up when you're bringing me breakfast in bed? Yeah. It's like, oh my god, yes, queen, you won that before we even watched before I rewatched the remake. Um, yeah, she's amazing. Best character in the original. She she is, she is. She gives us the one truly dramatic moment yeah. where uh, the planchette uh, reveals that she's to begin. I I don't know why <laughs> it pointed to her. I know, yeah. <laughs> Wait, wasn't Ben behind her? Oh, he may have been, yeah. So it was pointing to Ben. Yeah. Just really badly. For the sake of the plot. Um, but she she gives us a little drama. She gives us camp. Um, she's a teen idol. <laughs> looks like she's in the late 20s. She looks like she's in she the late 20s. She looks older than Shannon Elizabeth. <laughs> she has some sort of breakdown, but still manages to put on full face of makeup <laughs> and have her hair done. Whilst getting breakfast in bed. She is everything I want to be. So, for me, she wins. Yeah, there's Joe Morrow. She, she is the winner. Um, and also a name like Jamaro, like, <laughs> sounds great. Yeah, she had to change it from Joe Mama. <laughs> Finally, we have Buck slash Bobby. Is this it? Is this yeah, well, characters? I've just gone with the family because yeah, they're the I consistent suppose. ones. Um, I mean, the estate agent does nothing in the remake except for get split in half, so. And I suppose um, Cyrus in the remake 
and Uncle Plato. I mean, mm. in the original, Uncle Plato's kind of a non-entity, yeah. really, apart from being a ghost. Um, but I did just want to mention F. Murray Abraham. I was surprised <laughs> he would be in 13 Ghosts. I always thought of him as kind of a, a proper actor, you know, who only did prestige films. I didn't realise... He did films like this. Well, I mean, he talks like he's in a stage play, so... Well, he does. <laughs> I, I, I'm assuming... I always thought he was, like, classically trained, and, you know, he won the Oscar uh, for Best Actor for Amadeus. Um, and I've, I... Yeah. I thought he was in more prestigious films. Yeah. But they probably paid him very well for, like, three days' work, so... Props to him. So, on to The Son of the Family. Oh, yeah. Buck in 1960, played by Charles Herbert, and Bobby in 2001, played by Alec Roberts. Um, so, 1960, obviously, he's a big deal, Charles Herbert, to uh, many Americans. Not quite to us. Um, but fucking hell, he has a lot to say for himself, doesn't he? Oh, he doesn't shut up. <laughs> and he's got that... Gr- they both have that annoying child voice that really grates on you after a while. That child voice. That child voice. It's just a child voice. <laughs> um, it's true. I mean, he's an idiot as well. Like, even for a child, the whole hiding money storyline. Come on, kid. Seriously? That's the thing. <laughs> it's straight out of a, a comedy, really. And he's probably the most comedic yeah. of the um, characters. Um, his sort of like childlike naivete, well, not childlike, childish yeah. uh, naivety. He excited uh, at the thought of someone getting murdered at a seance, even though everyone had a family apart from Elaine was his family. He's obsessed <laughs> with, yeah, ghost stories, and he was quite excited at the idea of murder, and that's something that's carried on into the remake as well. Yeah, I mean, Alec Roberts, he starts off by slut shaming his sister. Yeah. Yeah, that's true, actually, isn't and, it? You know, his yeah. child sister, Shannon Elizabeth. Um, he was more annoying than the kid in the original, though. He's got... Yeah, he was more annoying. There is, again, the same with uh, Shannon Elizabeth. There's a uh, gap in the film where they're barely seen um, at all. He has... He had spiky hair, didn't he? Yeah. He had that 2001 kid spiky hair... Yeah. He was on a scooter. That's about it, really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he wore a cool um, jumper with a skeleton on it as a bit of a nod to William Castle. Oh, okay. That's cool. But, um, yeah, that's not enough to win. Did he have three-quarter length denim, like... They weren't far off it. Jorts? Would you call them jorts? Yeah, I know what you mean. He was, yeah, he what was... he needed the face like of chain. chain. yeah. He may have had one. He was the face of uh, 2001 fashion. Definitely. Definitely. Charles Herbert wins it just for uh, adding a bit of comedic value and being a bit more interesting. And I think it's an all right performance, actually. Yeah. He's a well-trained actor. I'm not saying either of them are terrible performances. I don't think in either of the films I could call out any performance and say, oh, God, that was dreadful. Because it's not true. They all do an all right job. Um, Just in... The characters aren't always that interesting. Yeah. So our overall winner is, of course, um, contrary to uh, what everyone thought it was going to be, and uh, as a complete opposite to our polls, the winner is the original. 
It is. And I, th I think sometimes with the polls, um, when you're pitting two films against each other, that there's the potential that people haven't seen one of the films, but really like the, the film that they choose. So yeah. They, they choose that. So it's not always a poll on popularity. It's probably a poll on accessibility as well. So there might might be people who just haven't seen the original. In the words of Abelisa, at the end of the day, yeah, the audience are entitled to their own exactly, opinion. Exactly, exactly. Um, but yes, watch. If you haven't seen the original 13 Ghosts, absolutely watch it. Uh, especially if you like old school horror, um, campy, funny horror. This is your one. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love it. And, but that is my taste. Yeah. That is, you know, it's not everyone's taste, but, you know, it's mine. So therefore, it's superior. No, I'm joking. <laughs> Could you imagine? Uh, but, you know, I would thoroughly recommend it. And it's the kind of film you can watch with family and get, yeah. you know, get yourself a cheapo pair of 3D glasses, the red and blue ones, and do it properly. Yeah. Um, and just have a fun time with it. I wouldn't say avoid the remake. Um, no, you know. no. If if you love, well, not love, if you appreciate, um, sort of that late nineties, early two thousands horror, the same way that we do, yeah, in kind of a nostalgic way, I I would say watch it. Yeah. You know, it's all right, and the effects are very good. So there's some cool death scenes. So now that brings us to our best and worst new releases of April. Yes. Starting with the best, we have Benedetta. Benedetta, finally, after what felt like a hundred years, we were able to watch Benedetta. We'd known about this film for ages. Yeah. We love Paul Verhoeven. I don't think we've watched a bad film from him. No? No. No, we haven't. So, and this was marketed, and very true to the marketing as well, it was marketed as a lesbian nun film. Uh, sign me on. You yeah. know, this, this is it. This is my thing. And I was not disappointed. I loved it. I thought it was so good. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean... Uh, it has some of the best sound editing I've heard in any film. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Certain scenes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny. It's a great satire. It, it's just what Paul Verhoeven does best. It is um, exactly so what the top. he does best. And, and it's, it's... I suppose it would be an acquired taste. It's not for everyone. Uh, no, but if you get it, you get it. But I think if you're listening to this podcast, you probably will get it. Yeah. So I would recommend... Absolutely watching Benedetta. Yeah. Loved it, loved it. And because it's been a fairly good uh, month for new releases, we haven't really got a worse of the month, more of a average of the month. Like yeah. Mediocre of the month, uh, which goes to Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Yeah, and it's, it, it's sad to say that, because I think if any other month, 
I don't think we would have been calling it the worst of the moment. No, I'm not calling it the worst. We wouldn't have been. Well, I suppose it's it is. It's the worst yeah, new release. It's the worst new release. By proxy, it is. Um, I mean, it's by far not the best. It, it wouldn't have. You know, it's not going to win any awards. Um, I had a fun time. It wasn't too far removed from the original, which I really enjoyed. Um, for me, growing up with the Sonic games. Um, there were so many sort of references and in-jokes that I was entertained. Um, yeah, it just, it wasn't, I don't know. It, it, just, it felt more targeted to younger audiences than yeah, you, the times, first one did. It did. It's a bit too cringy. Um, oh, oh God, yeah. Um, well, we might as well say it. The Uptown Funk scene. Yeah, oh, no one needs Yeah, that. my toes are... Still uncurling as we speak. Yeah. Uh, I, I wasn't a fan of that. It was too cheesy in parts. It was all right. You know, if, if you need a film to take the kids to. Yeah. Um, on to our honourable... I'm fucking hell, I describe it. <laughs> on to our honourable mentions. Uh, so some older releases that we've watched for the first time. We have Jungle Trap. Yes. We discovered Miss Renee Harmon yeah. this month. Didn't we? We did. And she may be making an appearance on the podcast next month as a result. highly likely. Yeah. Renee Harmon, Jungle Trap, Run Coyote Run, Lady Street Fighter. What a queen. Um, You know, had the absolute audacity to write these films with some high praise for herself. (laughs) Uh, She cast herself in the lead roles as this action superstar and then went on to teach a screenwriting class. I mean... That's queen behaviour. It's it's quintessential trash to piece. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It's so low budget. It's so badly acted. And badly acted, badly And made. written that it's impeccably entertaining. Yeah. Absolutely. It really is. Um, other than that, we've been doing a Sam Raimi marathon. Uh, so watch Crime Wave. And Dark Man for the first time. Crime Wave probably his most underrated film. I'd say so. I'd say so. I don't know why people hate it so much. No. It's a lot of zany fun. Yeah. Uh, Dark Man was weird, um, but in a good way. It felt very Batman. It felt very Dick Tracy. Um, Liam Neeson shouting. Interesting name. Liam Neeson shouting at someone at a fairground uh, because of a pink elephant. Liam Neeson. I'm in it. Hamming it he up. brought enough ham for the picnic for everyone. He um, what's what's the word where someone shouldn't have been cast? Miscast. Miscast. Thank you very much. I'm counting the witch as the first time watching me because I didn't appreciate it the first time around. Um, but yeah, I rewatched the witch and this time I loved it. Um, I believe you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was the first time watch for me. Um, yeah, I I I did actually really enjoy it. Um, yeah. yeah. Another good new release as well, The Northman from the same director. Yes. Yeah. That was that was a, a a good film. It wasn't great, but it was a good. It was a good film. Uh, the Quick and the Dead, Sharon Stone. I was ready to give that five stars, of, and it didn't quite live up to our expectations. It was all right. It was, it was all right. It was good. Um, we watched the Jaws films. They don't really deserve a mention, apart from the first one. But it's a rewatch. Well, we should mention. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. I'm getting to that. Um, Yeah, and that's it. 
for this month's original versus remake episode. Yeah, because obviously we we did the Sam Raimi marathon and we did the Madonna marathon. If you haven't listened to that episode, that's the previous one. So uh, make sure you give that a listen. Yes. Um, and that sort of took up a lot of the time for the it did. month. It but, did. But, you know, some standouts there. Also, we didn't watch Morbius. So if you're thinking, hang on a minute, they didn't have a worse than a month when Morbius came out. We didn't watch it. Um, don't know if we will. Um, I'm trying to... And I understand that I'm speaking to you um, during a podcast dedicated to trash cinema, for the most part. Um, but it's trash cinema that I feel like I'm going to enjoy. And sometimes I don't, sometimes I do. Morbius is one of those films I just knew I wasn't going to like and I knew I wasn't going to be entertained by how bad it was. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, we're here for a good time, not a long time. And I just couldn't be bothered. Like, how long is it? It's it's, it's probably one of those... It's an hour and 40 minutes. Hour and 40, that's quite short for, like, <laughs> modern um, superhero films, actually. They're usually going on about three hours now, aren't they? Um, but I just thought that's an hour and 40 minutes I could spend doing something else. Yeah. So I did. So anyway, um, that's our original versus remake episode. <laughs> I feel like that's an actual review of more. That's our original versus... Without having watched the film. <laughs> uh, for our socials, I'm DeadAtGaz92 on Letterboxd, Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I'm ChrisBarker823 on Instagram and Letterboxd. I'm also a, a bit of a shameless plugger, but I'm also a verified banana critic now for yes. the banana meters. So go and check out uh, Right Bananas and uh, look at our bananas. Jesus Christ. Look at our banana rates. It's kind of like, it's it's uh, like... Yeah, I think you need to clarify. It, it's like Rotten Tomatoes, but for uh, more independent critics and uh, cool people. You know, that's why I'm verified. Um, <laughs> and if that doesn't sell it enough, go check out Banana Meter on Twitter. I'm always retweeting stuff anyway. Um, yeah, so rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. Like a follow on everything else. Give us a rating on Spotify. The next month's original versus remake. We're going a little more obscure. I'd be surprised if this gets any votes on the poll, if anyone's ever seen it. Um, initiation of Sarah. Yeah, I'd... Known about the first one, and I didn't know it had been remade. And both films look fucking camp-tastic. Yeah, Jennifer Tilly's in the remake. Yes, um, giving pure camp as yeah. tits. I'm really excited to cover those two films. Yeah, this, that's definitely, you know, we care a lot about you listeners, but this is definitely an us thing. This is our treat. Um. Oh, no, <laughs> I think it's absolutely on brand as well. I, th- I hope I people think have it's seen it. definitely on brand. I fully recommend you watch them both and listen to the podcast. Um, this before we've watched them. So before we've, oh, I know I'm going to love them. I know I am. Um, yeah. If if I don't, then I'm I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> you said it here first. Um, and as a really special treat, you get double horror court trash over this Tuesday. Because not only will we be releasing our Howard the Duck episode. Woo. Um, but also, we will be on the Horror Bandwagon podcast, which we've already recorded with them and had a great time. Um, discussing Jaws the Revenge. 
Yes, that classic Michael Caine film, Jaws the Revenge, had so much fun recording with them. Yeah. Absolutely hilarious. And, um, yeah, I'd love, we'd love for you to go over there, give them a like. Yeah, check out Instagram. The check Horror out, Bandwagon. Check out their podcast and uh, give it a listen on Tuesday. Yeah. So, we'll see you in two places on the internet on Tuesday. Bye.